If you have your Bibles, that's good, that's a microphone. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn those to Matthew chapter 28. Nothing like um, bringing sincere, sweet worship to conclusion with a microphone that was muted incorrectly. Okay, Matthew chapter 28. we are going to talk about the Great Commission, and we're going to talk about relationships and discipleship for the next few weeks. Then we're going to go into a study of a New Testament book together. And the mission of every Christian, every person in this room, and every person on the face of planet Earth who claims that Jesus Christ is their Lord, is the Great Commission. It's a mission that is given to us by God from uh, in the person of Jesus, revealed to us in Him. And it is a mission that is both in front of you and beyond you. It is something that you can put your hands on and it's something that can also overwhelm you if your mind gets too far ahead of you. That took place in my life this week as I thought about the idea of things that were right there that were much, much more than I anticipated. That could be overwhelming if I thought about them too, too much. There were some videos that went viral on the interweb recently. Uh, some families would pay someone to dress up like the Grinch. Did anyone see these? They're amazing. Uh, they would pay someone to dress up like the Grinch, and they would, this Grinch person, not the real Grinch, but this fake Grinch, would run into your home and destroy all of your Christmas decorations. They would knock down your Christmas tree. You're paying someone to do this, not paying someone not to do this. They would run in, they would throw presents, and your children would sit there mortified, just overwhelmed by what was taking place in front of them. The idea of undoing Christmas. Now, it is no um, secret in this room that when it comes to Christmas decorations, we really have uh, two extremes in my home. We have Shepard, who is in essence Buddy the Elf, and we have me, who is uh, our version of an overweight, moderately obese, middle-aged Grinch. And that's the two, these things come together all of the time. So we go celebrate Christmas at Hope's mom and dad's house. I come home, and and when I come home, I have one mission. One mission, and that's to take down every light on the outside of our home. I want it all out of the way. I want it put up. I want us to move to what's next, which is called January. Heaven knows how long January will last in 2021. More than likely, about 47 days. And when we get to January, I want to be set for January, ready for January. So I began to take down every light that's there at our house. Every single light on the outside of our home. And I say things under my breath about the child who put them up the entirety of the time. There are so many lights. I unplugged the lights that were at the top of the house. I undid all of these things. But the entirety of the time, all that I could think is, this is a huge undertaking. This is taking me a long, long time. Who could, could I find that Grinch person to come rip these lights down? What do I need to do? When we look into the Bible and we see the idea of the Great Commission, we see an undoing. We see, a, we see a, an idea that is presented to us that is overwhelming if we are not careful. But let's look at it together, walking through this text. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And we're going to look at some texts that go alongside of that as well. Matthew 28, the 11, verse 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority 
has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are the words of Jesus for us. When we look at this text, we see a breakdown that works a little bit like this. Verses 18, we see that Christ sends us. Verse 19, we see that Christ shapes us. Verse 20, we see that Christ sustains us. One more time, we see Christ sends us in 18. In 19, we see that Christ shapes us. And in 20, we see that Christ sustains us. If I'm asking you a question this morning, for you to ponder as in regard to your relationship with God and why He would even allow you to have that relationship, my question for you in regard to what you are looking at that you call your life is why do you think that Jesus brought you into a relationship with Him? Why do you believe that Jesus would choose to have a relationship with you? Why do you believe that Jesus would give you the opportunity to know Him? The eleven disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, verse 17, this is a a little bit overwhelming if we're using that word again to me because it says they worshipped him, but some doubted. And, And right here, we can stop in the text as God's people and we can say, doubt is a thing that is always going to be there. Doubt is a thing that we're always going to fight. Doubt is a thing we're always going to fuss with. Doubt is a thing that we're always going to have to interact with. Doubt is a recurring thing through the Scriptures. It was here. We see it with Thomas when we see doubt. And in our most honest moments, we we will see doubt there too. For you and for me to never come to places where we're wrestling with what's taking place in regard to our spiritual situation... And if we're never being in places where we're interacting with the reality of what God is showing us in Jesus. It means that we don't have a faith. That It means that we have dogma that we happen to believe. We should always be wrestling with the truths of Scripture. And there will be moments for you when doubt presents itself. And that is a place for you to see that doubt is not the end. It's a hill that you have to get over because God is good and God's going to show himself to you. The reality of the resurrection is right there in front of these disciples. Can you just for a moment imagine what's taking place right here for these people? For any of us who would ever say that we never ever will doubt, is for us not to consider the magnitude of what's taking place with Jesus and these various disciples. Because they are standing in front of a man who was dead and now he's alive and there is still doubt in their hearts. One pastor says this, The secret to a healthy, life-giving church is not simply doctrine, as vital as doctrine is. But when faithful doctrine is met with humble honesty, then amazing things start to happen in the people of God. But refusing to face ourselves, no amount of, by ref, but refusing to face ourselves, no amount of good doctrine can make that work. We are always going to be wrestling with the humility of what it means for us to be human beings who are interacting with a supernatural God who has chosen to make himself known to us in the way he has. But we see doubt, we also see worship. And we don't want to miss that. 
those things working, interacting in the passage. We see that these monotheistic Jewish people were worshiping. And the word worship used here means they would come and they wouldn't sing songs. Those songs are part of worship in the scriptures. But whenever this word is used, worship in the New Testament text, it's used in regard to a certain posture of these people. They would lay down when they came before him. So this is not them standing in front of Jesus with Peter on the keys and John on the drums leading everyone who sits there to to worship him in song. These are people seeing a resurrected Messiah laying face down in front of him. And as they lay down in front of him, they worship. The thing about being a monotheistic Jew is you don't worship anything that's not God. You only worship the real God, the the true God. You worship absolutely nothing else. It's the first commandment, it's the last commandment. It's all tied up in in the teachings of Judaism. Everything in their memory banks would tell them, we only worship God, we don't worship anything else. We've been pushed away from these foreign gods. We go to the the top ten in the book of Exodus. We only worship God. No other gods in our lives. And Matthew is leaving us with this impression that these Jewish people who have met with the resurrected Messiah, they see him as God. And there is no doubt in their mind, even though there's doubt all around them, that this person is Jesus, God made flesh, God in their presence, the Lord Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we see the idea of worship regularly. Throughout the Bible, we see the idea of people falling down to worship God because they've met something that is inexplicable. The Bible teaches us that this worship happens. And when it happens, for those who are not Jesus, there's this immediate correction. Whenever you would see someone in the Bible worship someone other than Jesus, an angelic being, they would say, no, don't worship me, this is a bad idea. I could get in trouble, get a pink slip, who knows? But every time people would stand in front of Jesus and then fall down, he allows them to. He allows them to treat him and to interact with him as God. Fall down in front of Jesus happens a lot. In Matthew's gospel, people fall down in front of Jesus numerous times. Matthew chapter 8 verse 2, a leper falls down in front of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9 verse 18, uh, a man's daughter, Jairus, we spent some time with him. His daughter was sick. He fell down in front of Jesus. When we see Matthew chapter 14, the disciples in the boat, they fall down in front of Jesus, though they're mortified. Matthew chapter 15, a Gentile woman falls down in front of Jesus. Matthew chapter 20 verse 20, the tag team champions of the Bible, the sons of thunder, they fall down in front of Jesus. It happens regularly. They didn't really have professional wrestling. Maybe amateur. They fall down in front of Jesus and they res- and Jesus receives this interaction of worship. So with that in mind, who this Jesus is and how this Jesus happens to be it, we go into this passage and we see all authority in heaven and earth, Jesus is going to tell us, verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go. Verse 18, first word of verse 19. Everything is mine, go. 
I reign and I rule as God, go. I give you directions as God, go. I speak as God, go. I am God himself funneled into a human being. All the miracles that we see in the Old Testament, those are present in me, you go. I'm going to give you direction, I'm going to give you correction, I'm going to tell you where to go, how to go, why to go, so go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we go. The thing that we see in verse 18 is that Christ sends us. Jesus is claiming the authority of God. He is stating that he is God. And because he states this, we as followers have to trust, even though there will be moments of struggle, moments of doubt, that has to be enough for us because he is God and we don't happen to be God. You're not God, no matter how much you tell yourself you are. Jesus is commanding his followers, us included, to come alongside with the teaching that he presents here and say, because I believe that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, I'm going to respond to him as such. Go. What do we go with? We go with the reign of God made present in Jesus. We go and we live this message of Jesus in our world. There is the idea that we should wait until the end of heaven and earth to be people who reign and rule with Jesus. The thing about that is there's a problem that's presented and it's the Bible. There's no gospel, it's the weirdest thing. No gospel writer seems to focus on waiting for the return of Christ to see him reigning. There's always this presence for God's people that his authority matters more than everything else. The mission given to us by Jesus is to make real in the world the authority that we actually believe that Jesus has. That's why he tells us what we, every week when we pray together. That's why we're told, this is how you're to pray. This is how you're to pray, not for what will be, but for what actually is. That the reign and rule of God is present right now. That Jesus, in the muck and the mire, in the hardship and the difficulty of this very broken world, that we have been reminded of its brokenness over and over in the last 10 months, translation, 26 years, we would be reminded that these things are not untrue simply because everything around us says they're untrue. When he says, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we hear that, that's not saying that the reality of Jesus is a thing we're waiting for. The, reign of, the reality of his reign. The reality of his reign is something that we are to experience now. That we're to experience that now. That we're to live like that right now. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm God, so go. So what do you do when you go? Giddy up and go. Let's go. We see that we're told to go and to make disciples. Christ shapes us, we see in verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. few words there to work with. One, baptize. It's the idea of, of immersion. And that's an idea that we see presented in the Scriptures. And if you're here in the room, and you've never trusted in Jesus and been obedient to the point of baptism, we would encourage you to have a conversation with us about baptism.
We'll, we'll pull out a horse trough. It's nothing fancy. We, we may wash the horses when we're done. But we immerse to remind you of what God has shown us in Jesus. Why do we baptize that way? Because we see in the Gospels that Jesus was baptized that way. That we see that we are given commands through the writings of Paul from God that we should consider immersion. We will be baptized in the church. Go make disciples. But what does it mean to make a disciple? What does it mean to make a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that we would consider sacrifice before we consider ourselves. That's why we see Jesus giving us shape in the New Testament as to what it means to be his people when he says this, whoever does not bear his own cross daily and come after me is not my disciple. So, so we, as followers of Jesus, are going to trust the sacrifice of Jesus to give shape to our lives. That we would be sacrificial in the way that we treat other people. That we would look at our resources, that we would be generous because we believe that Christ has been generous to us. That we would choose not to live in exclusion, but we would live in relationship with one another. Not to be isolated, but to be in everyday interactions with other believers. That we would be able to talk to one another and care for one another and share one another's burdens. This has been thread into these men for the last three years. There's been thread in these followers of Jesus. Tim Keller says this, pastor, former pastor of a church in New York. He says, God directs his people not simply to worship, but to sing his praises before the nations. We're called not to simply communicate the gospel to non-believers. We must also intentionally celebrate the gospel with them, before them. We are to celebrate the gospel before them. As followers of Jesus, we are to have, there is, should be a sense that something has taken place in us that is supernatural. Not because we've learned certain things, but because God has made himself known to us from his word. That we have not simply memorized ink on paper, but that the God who inspired and breathed this out has chosen to interact with us for the sake of eternity. That we would go. Arkent Hughes, pastor says this, the Great Commission is exclusively inclusive. We have one Lord for every nation of the earth. We make disciples. We are present here in our world. We are also seeing that we should be present beyond us. What are the aspects of following this command of Jesus to make disciples? Uh, the, a good definition of discipleship is one our elders went to... Uh, a couple of years ago and we sat down walked about through real life discipleship they're great and one of the things that they shared was their definition of discipleship that we've worked with a good bit that I've thought through a good bit and it's this a disciple is someone who follows Jesus because they are changed by Jesus and they have committed themselves to the mission of Jesus go Go there is not simply, I need to make sure that I can get on a plane and go to the other side of the world. Go there is as you go. In your current situation, how are you going with the message of Jesus? Where and when are you choosing sacrifice for the sake of the message of Jesus? Who are you displaying the message of Jesus to? We see this text teaching us that we should be people who, are, who have in our hearts and minds the idea of making disciples because Jesus has prepared us to do so. He's provided for us so that we can. 
He says, go, go baptize. This outward expression of inward transformation. Baptism signifies an outward way what, what it means to become a disciple. It is us saying to those who watch, death to self-reliance, death to self-trust, and now I have a new life, and that new life is attached to Jesus. Not only that, we see that we're called to teach the inward impression that manifests itself in outward transformation. That there is something that has taken place in us that is to be displayed on the outside of us. This is a major shift in the Scriptures. Because in the Old Testament, we see two things giving us direction, the Jewish people direction, and that's the law. And and it's through circumcision and the Torah. And that is the letter of the law. But here, in this moment, as Jesus stands in front of them, all authority on heaven and earth present right there, we have a new thing there. Baptism in the words of Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that this is the letter of the law. Jesus standing in the flesh in front of them is more. He's the heart of the law. God's heart for people. God's desire for people. And this idea of God's heart really begins to be incarnation. It is incarnational in Jesus and it should be incarnational through us. It is us being in the mud with people. Us being in the hard places with people alongside of people when they go through hurt and pain. It's what we learn when in the book of Acts where Luke tells us what the church looked like. That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They cared for one another. They sold possessions and property, distributed proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Does this mean the new church was neat? No. It is a mess. Every time we read about the New Testament church, there's something dumb happening. And by dumb, I mean wicked at times. But it shows us that God is giving design for how we are to interact with one another and how to care for people who have strayed, how to be with people who have not, how to be the church teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, Jesus says. This is the great commandment. It's rooted in the book of Deuteronomy. It's the idea that Jesus gives us a command. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It comes alongside of what he says in John 13 when he says, A new command I give you. You're supposed to love one another. Heaven help us. What does it mean that we would love one another? That wasn't Jesus. That was me. They will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. That the followers of Jesus care for one another even when we are upset and wronged by one another. It's the words of Jesus given to us in the Sermon on the Mount. For those of us who follow Jesus, we now see every teaching of the Bible through the lens of Jesus. As a result, it's our understanding of any scripture. Here's the thing. If your understanding of any scripture does not help you to be more like Jesus, it is a poor understanding of that text. You and I are to be in our hearts seeking to reflect the things that we see in Jesus. Chad, that's a lot. You've just given me a lot to do. You've just told me to take down all of my Christmas lights and the Christmas lights next door. We can do this 
Because Christ sustains us. Your security and mine will never be the fact that we look at a situation and we say, I've got this. That doesn't help. Because you and I are fleeting people and we won't have things that happen that will undo our, we've got this. Our security is not in our strength. Our security is because we believe that God is sovereign. He is faithful to the promises that he has made to us. That God has said that he is with us. We see that. That God, his witness, sustains us. Witness is only a word when you put a hyphen in it. So if you're taking notes, do that. I'm with you always, Jesus says. Do you see the full circle of that? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm with you always. This is not just the other side of your life. This is in the middle of it right now. I'm, I'm with you right now. It's why Matthew reminds us that Emmanuel is, is God with us. Jesus, Matthew starts that way. Jesus closes out and he says, I'm with you always. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, believers in God through Christ Jesus, God with us, this idea, this abstract concept that we see championed in the Old Testament has become concrete because all authority in heaven and on earth has been shown to us in him. If you want to look, if you want to know what God thinks about things, look and see what Jesus thinks about things. What does God love? We look and see what Jesus loved. What does God hate? We can see that in what Jesus hates. What does God value? What does Jesus value is a question that we can ask. Is God generous? We see that in the sacrificial act of Jesus on the cross. Does God care about relationships? We see that in the, in the relational aspect of the nature of the, of the person of Jesus. We see these things throughout. The God with us is Jesus with us. And this is an encouragement that has been from the very beginning. From page one throughout. We see the hope of God with us. We, we see in Abraham this tension with he's been called to do something huge and he says I can't do this numerous times and, and God says I know you can't that's why I'm with you that's why I'm with you Mo Moses says I, I, can't, I can't do this You're, you've told me to go to the king of the world and tell him to let your people go I can't do this I, I know you can't that's why I'm here I'm with you we see Joshua say that he can't do what God has told him to do because he's not Moses. And God says, I know you're not Moses. I'm, I'm, I'm better because I'm with you. Isaiah prophesies in chapter 41. Prophesy means he, he speaks the truth, the word of the Lord. And he says this, Do not fear because I'm with you. Do not be afraid for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Whatever you're walking through, God promises to be with you. So if we're going to believe that truth, and we're going to believe the assurance that comes with that truth, we should take hold of the commands that are given because of that truth. If the assurance that we have that God is with us is a present reality for us, then we cannot negate everything that he said that comes before it, that we should be a disciple-making people who care about the name of God being made known to the people we live in relationship with every day and to the ends of the earth. These things work intrinsically together. 
that God with you means that you are not afraid to have relationships that are difficult at times because He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. He promises us that. So for us, as we as a church wrestle in 2021, that's kind of hard to say. Unless you're talking about a Honda or something. But in 2021, going into this year, I would love for us just to put everything that we are struggling with, all of our hardships, just on a piece of paper or in a note on your phone. And I want you to look and see all of the scheduling conflicts that you've created. Because no, make no mistakes, we create many of our scheduling conflicts. What things do you need to remove, rearrange, so that you can be a disciple-making person? So that you can be in a discipling relationship. So that you can be in relationship with God's people for the sake of God's name to the end of God's earth. Arranging ourselves around the mission of God. Because we choose our busy. Let's just own it. So if you're choosing your busy, who gets the calm moments? Because you made the mess. So when it's all straightened out, what should you do with that? You make it. I make it. We all make it. And when we think through these things together, we can see how to be God's people in God's world for the sake of God's name. I you to bow your heads with me this morning. Father, in our weakness, you're strong. In our despair, you are our hope. In our wandering, you are our direction. So, Father, as we gather together and look at your word, as we've looked at your word today, I pray that the direction that we see will be vivid and it will undo the things in us that we don't, do not want undone so that we can sacrifice in response to your great sacrifice so that we can reign as your people in a way that looks like you not lording things over but holding things up Father, we trust you this morning. We believe you. So I'm going to pray this for myself and I'm going to pray this for this body. As we're arranging and rearranging and scheduling and unscheduling and rescheduling. I pray that we will see that you will help our unbelief in straightening out the minutia of our life for the sake of your name. Our lives for the sake of your name. If you need me, I'm in the back right corner.